0: Hey now, this is Getting Over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here with a completely unplanned instant analysis of WWE SmackDown, which aired live from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando in front of a completely empty crowd. So before we get to breaking down what I can only call an astounding edition of SmackDown, it is the spring. And you know what that means, it is five-star review season. So head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to Getting Over, and please drop that five-star review. But don't just rate us, leave some words about what you like so much about the show, I would greatly appreciate it. Look, chances are most of you listening to this are not going to be doing much of anything this weekend or maybe going forward. So there's really no excuse. Remember, it is all about the five-star Drop that review, please, on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget also to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. This is going to be a unique instant analysis because, as I said, it was completely unplanned. Um, it is also, you know, around 1030 on the East Coast right now. I know that we do have a WWE episode coming up on Tuesday. So I'm not really going to break down every storyline. I'm going to save that for Tuesday's show. I really want to talk about the surreal experience uh, that was watching Smackdown on Friday night. And we're going to crack a beer here while we do it in preparation for 316 Day on Monday. Um, this is a, what, what do we got here? Six Point Resin. Six Point, one of my absolute favorite breweries in New York. little strange situation with Six Point, to be honest with you, though. I went to New York. I was there for three weeks. I tried to get over to see Six Point. The problem is they don't have an open brewery like so many other breweries across the nation where you can just go in at any time, you can only go to the Six Point Brewery and drink there uh, when they have a special release of some of their beers. So one, like I said, one of my favorite breweries, I've probably had 10 or 12 of their beers over the years. Unfortunately, I was in New York for a long period of time, and that was one of my major planned stops only for me to find out that they do, just don't allow patrons. Um, very, very strange. One other thing I wanted to address before we get into the instant analysis of SmackDown, Um, You know, I haven't really heard much from any of you, but I do want to address it anyway. I do want to get a soundboard here on the show. I am planning to have one sooner than later. Uh, There are some technology obstacles that I am facing doing the podcast this way. Along those lines, I also definitely want to improve the sound quality of the show. That takes money, purchasing microphones um, and equipment. And those are things that, you know, I don't have. At this moment, as we started the show, and I wanted to get the show started ahead of WrestleMania 36, of course, not necessarily realizing that WrestleMania 36 may not happen, or at least it may not happen on time on April 5th as it is currently scheduled. We're going to talk about that a little bit at the end of the show, but let's get into the instant analysis of this really unique edition of Friday Night SmackDown. Um, It was surreal, top to bottom, seeing the show open with Triple H putting over the Performance Center on what they call the perch, that's what they call it in NXT, it it was just strange, Uh, the set looked great, the arena, uh, the Performance Center looked fantastic, and I really enjoyed that they set it up as if it was a show with chairs all over the place, certainly they just had fans there a couple days earlier for NXT, but I like that there were fans and barricades, and it looked like you expect a wrestling setup to look, despite the fact that they were doing it in a unique scenario. And Triple H himself, Paul Levesque, he was the absolute star of SmackDown. Um, He did the entire show in his DX-like on-air persona, as opposed to his more authority figure, his authoritative Paul Levesque uh, persona. He was on commentary basically the entire night. It seemed almost like it was planned for him to be on for the initial segment And then they weren't going to go back to him. They were going to have Sami Zayn on for a portion of it and Elias on for a portion of it. But instead, he kept coming back. It seemed at least like it wasn't planned that way. Whether it was or not, I don't know. Uh, But Triple H on commentary during this show reminded you how fun WWE can be when they allow characters and superstars to be themselves. Granted, he is one of the most veteran people that they have in the entire locker room. And he's not even a full-time talent. He's also... One of the most entertaining superstars that WWE had in the Attitude Era. But nevertheless, um, it was he was a riot the entire show. He took a shot on Dave Meltzer for reporting that Triple H's new position inside of WWE was basically a demotion. When he's still executive vice president, it was hysterical. Uh, he talked about you know, fans maybe not liking the job he was doing, but he already knows they don't like Michael Cole on commentary. He basically made a joke about Cole uh, running to take a shit during a commercial break, which was hysterical. Uh, You also, because Triple H was having a good time, you saw Cole loosen up and his commentary was more fun. Uh, He basically straight up said that Triple H was shooting. He used that term uh, on the show, which was great. You also saw Triple H grab a camera Uh, He took a Sharpie and drew on Michael Cole's like flavor saver under his lip. It, It was just he was a riot top to bottom. He was the most entertaining part of the show. And it really makes you wonder if they have Triple H do commentary for Raw on Monday night, which will also emanate from the Performance Center, because that's how good he was. And there really isn't a good reason for Jerry the King Lawler, you know, to travel necessarily or Byron Saxon really to be there. Although he may live in Orlando, I don't necessarily know whether he does or not. But he may live there just because obviously he was in the performance center. Um, But, you know, even Zayn and Elias, Sammy Zayn and Elias at points during the show, they did get on commentary and were decently entertaining because they kind of shot from the hip. There was one point where uh, Baron Corbin yelled out of the ring at, you know, Elias, who was sitting there on commentary. He was able to react to that. You heard the entire conversation, whereas during a normal show, you may not have even heard what Corbin would have initially said. So I found that to be interesting. Yeah, this beer, this resin from Six Point, really, really good, double IPA. Okay, um, went right into a real segment. So right after they introduced the show, um, they went into a real segment, something that you would have seen on SmackDown had it been in an arena with the women. I thought Bailey and Sasha Banks did a really good job like trying to get the crowd going in a tongue-in-cheek way, knowing they weren't there, but being heels and being their role model characters. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I didn't necessarily love that they continued to promote Paige for the show, even though they knew she would not be there, clearly Paige. They said had you know travel issues due to coronavirus. It seems like, she, I think Ryan Satin even reported that she chose not to fly, which is completely her prerogative and, and totally fine, but you, they knew she wasn't gonna be there. So I really wish they had not promoted it as such. Uh, whatever segment they were going to do with Paige, I wonder, was Stephanie McMahon there? Could she have stepped in and done that? You know, I was really curious to see Paige speak to Bailey and try to move this women's division and this feud for WrestleMania going forward, not a feud, a storyline going forward with Bailey, who does not have a championship contender right now for her title. So I did think that was a bit of a miss. Uh, there was also some controversy during the match that ended up happening between, um, I guess you can call them the Boston Hunt connection and Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. You know, I'm not going to kind of call out anyone, certainly, but someone tweeted a video of what happened in the Performance Center during the commercial break uh, of that match, which was basically nothing. They stopped wrestling in the match. And I guess an international feed, uh, WWE didn't cut to black or whatever the case was, and they got to see all of them just walking around the ring. Alexa Bliss responded to that person, kind of dragged them a little bit, basically saying, you know, Um, shouldn't have done that. It was unfair. We're just trying to be out here and entertain people. And you know what? I kind of have to agree. You know, the journalist in me says, hey, if you see something newsworthy, you share it. But we're also dealing with a really special time right now. WWE is, you know, scripted entertainment. It's predetermined uh, finishes. And I don't necessarily know that the business needed to be exposed in that manner. So, you know, I I can see both sides of it, no question about it. But I I do kind of actually agree with Alexa Bliss and some of the wrestlers on this one where I thought it was just a bit unnecessary given the circumstances. Uh, You know, WWE did a number of backstage segments to break things up. And I thought that made a lot of sense over the course of the show. Um, You know, anything you can do to not just have wrestling in an empty arena for two hours is a good thing. I'm going to contradict myself, though, on that right now, because while the chamber match was great, they showed the tag team championship elimination chamber match, which was Fantastic, and honestly, on second watch, it was even better than I remembered the first time. I did think airing it in its entirety was a mistake. Uh, They didn't need to do it. They had enough matches on the show and enough talented wrestlers in the building where they could have put on new matches that were longer, that could have completely gotten people over. Instead, they kind of just aired that segment. And again, I get it. You want to show liveliness and excitement. You want the fans and the crazy moves that they did during that Elimination Chamber. Like I said, it did come across better Uh, Than even than it was initially, which I thought was very good. But they had a Daniel Bryan-Cesaro match. And I don't know exactly how long it was, but let's call it seven minutes. It probably could have gone 20, 22, and people would have loved it, and it would have gotten praise from the Smarks. This was a show very much made. uh, My dog's walking on the floor, so excuse that noise right there. Uh, This was a show very much made for true wrestling fans who were turning in between Triple H's commentary and some of the nods they did to wrestling kind of being scripted a little bit over the course of the show to give us a Brian Cesaro match really would have been fantastic. They also gave us Jeff Hardy's return over the course of the show and put him in a match with King Corbin, Baron Corbin, which was fine. It was a pretty good booking decision. I was a little bit disappointed, all things considered, and Hardy coming back and looking exactly the same as he did when he left. I thought he was going to kind of turn over a new leaf and give us a little bit of a different character. Also for his comeback match to be, you know, five minutes against a guy in King Corbin who took Roman Reigns, not necessarily to the limit, but, you know, took him pretty far in a trio of matches just recently. Again, another instance where that could have gone longer. Uh, Corbin could have looked pretty good doing it and then still lost. Uh, You know, he hit the the Twist of Fury and he hit the Swanton Bomb um, to win the match. And it just kind of, you know, I I don't like using the word buried Corbin because it didn't bury Corbin by any means, but It was just complete nonsense. They could have put him over anyone and done a little bit of a squash. Instead, they wasted a Hardy-Corbin match, which is something that they definitely could have done more significantly on the road to WrestleMania as they try to figure out what they're going to do with Jeff Hardy. You know, the best segments on the show were actually the three in-ring promos that they had. And all of them had two people with two microphones in an empty arena in front of nobody. And somehow they were better than the in-ring promos and many of the segments that SmackDown does on a normal basis. You had a sit-down interview between Roman Reigns and Michael Cole. It's proof that Cole is far better as an interviewer in circumstances like this when he's not totally scripted. I thought Reigns got over great, obviously, without having anyone in the crowd to potentially boo him. That helped. Uh, But Reigns unscripted as a real human being, talking about real life things, um, he gets over because. You like this guy, Joe Anoy, he's a good dude, right? And he's someone you want to root for. You don't necessarily want to root for Roman Reigns, the character, but you do want to root for Joe. And I thought that was able to come across in that segment. Miz and Morrison also did one. They were not spectacular, but I did love that as heels, they played to the empty arena. They did a call and response where they knew there would not be a response and they made it part of the segment, which was just really good. Uh, But honestly, the end of the show, John Cena was doing an interview um, with Michael Cole and Bray Wyatt came out as the Mr. Rogers version, the Firefly Funhouse version of his character in the flesh, which is something we've only seen one time in that match. I believe it was with Daniel Bryan, if memory serves, or maybe it was The Miz. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting at this moment. But we've only seen that character in the flesh, not in the Firefly Funhouse once. This time we saw him accomplish that. Uh, Going face to face with John Cena. And, you know, again, we'll break down the promos on Tuesday's show exactly what was said. Uh, But Cena cut a hell of a promo. It was a little trite in terms of a storyline that WWE seems to be using a lot when legends return. Uh, But he addressed a lot of the stuff that Wyatt mentioned last week in the Firefly Funhouse. And then you had Bray Wyatt come out and cut one of the best promos of his entire career, especially without the crutch of a gimmick. He was actually speaking as himself for a change, which I thought was great. Um, Just, I liked how Cena laid out his case. He shouted out Drew McIntyre and Matt Riddle, Rhea Ripley and Velveteen Dream, talking about them being the future and not Wyatt. Uh, Wyatt talking about, you know, how Cena legitimately did crush some of his dreams and that he was gonna basically murder him. You know, not necessarily saying that word, uh, but it was kind of the connotation. And I thought it was great. It was, like I said, Truly one of the best finishes to SmackDown in quite some time. Um, definitely since October, probably before that, maybe since before WrestleMania 35, if I'm truly thinking about it. One last takeaway from the show itself, and it's the same thing we've talked about with NXT and the Evolution pay per view last year, and in other scenarios where WWE has to do a show like this. The product is shot so much better when there's fewer camera angles and far less cutting. It was very toned down tonight, obviously, but you got an opportunity to see, you know, wrestling in its raw form. It's something that even AEW to some extent has gotten into too many cuts and too many angles and too many fan shots. By not having the crowd there, WWE kind of was forced, and obviously they were working with a limited crew as well. So with fewer cameramen and no crowd, honestly, the wrestling looked better, the promos were certainly better. I liked that they went to the commentary table a bunch with Mike, I saw Michael Cole and Triple H kind of hamming it up. The commentary exists. There's no problem with going to them more than once over the course of the show. I thought ultimately that some really positive decisions were made from a production standpoint. So the question is now, you know, where do we go from here? Where does WWE go from here? Raw will be at the Performance Center on Monday, obviously continuing... Uh, this trend due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, Presumably, all WWE shows will be at the Performance Center moving forward. That is certainly not me breaking any news, and WWE is probably going to cancel slash move the shows one by one as this thing progresses, but, you know, things are changing rapidly. Um, If you listen to experts, and I am certainly not an expert, but things with the coronavirus are presumably going to get worse before they get better. And there's really nothing to say that future episodes of Raw, SmackDown, and NXT may not get completely canceled, uh, which would put WWE in a very unique position. You know, the the positive for WWE, especially compared to AEW and some other live sports, is that WWE has so much historic content that they can continue filling these slots on USA Network and Fox uh, with shows from WWE Network with former pay-per-views. They could do a combination of um, you know, interview segments from home or from studios located across the country. They obviously have one in Los Angeles, Connecticut, and Orlando at a minimum, certainly New York as well, where they could tape things. They could have people tape them on their own smartphones and, and send them in and mix that with clips from prior shows and highlight packages and the lot. So, so there's a lot that WWE can do in the event... That TV shows get canceled. The question, obviously, is what the hell is gonna happen in about, you know, three or four weeks from now when NXT TakeOver Tampa Bay and WrestleMania 36 are scheduled. It does seem that WWE is playing a little bit of a cat and mouse game with Tampa. Tampa has basically kind of said that the WWE has a week to make a decision. WWE is saying, hey, the show is gonna go on uh, unless the government tells us otherwise. I think, and again, this is not me breaking any news, this is pure opinion and pure guess supposition here. Uh, My guess is that WWE in its insurance contract most likely has a clause where they get paid out if a state, local government or an emergency cancels their show. And if they cancel it themselves, they don't get paid. Um, That would make all the sense in the world to me. It's probably why WWE is hoping that Tampa or the state of Florida uh, goes ahead and says, hey, no mass gatherings, Uh, nothing at a stadium like that. We can't do it. I think no matter what happens, you're not going to see fans at a WrestleMania. Um, If you do, it would be a very limited grouping. It would be friends and family, production staff, stuff like that. Uh, But but honestly, there's a lot of directions that WWE can go. Could they do WrestleMania at the Performance Center? They could. Um, I think that is not going to happen. I don't think that you can have a show that is called WrestleMania, the spectacle that it's supposed to be, With that many matches and put it in front of no fans in a tiny arena. I don't think it would come off well. I don't think it would be worth it for WWE to do it. So, what other options are there? Um, They could move it to an arena, which I think would probably be the step that they would take if they are going to do the show on the April 5th date. There is a male arena, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, in Tampa that they have rented out. For the entire week, certainly they could set up a set there. They could do the show. There could be pyro and a lot more stuff. They could um, figure out a way to put fans in a certain section on the TV side of the crowd and make enough noise, mic them really well, uh, even coach them up on what to cheer for and what not to cheer for to make it come out really nice. I do think that's completely possible. Um, Another scenario, of course, is that WWE could postpone WrestleMania. And if they do that, the question then becomes what happens and when, when would they postpone it until? Because you do have SummerSlam, let's not forget, coming up in August. So, you know, a lot of sports leagues are talking about by the time you get to May or June, um, being able to potentially, potentially restart stuff. Then you're real close to that. Uh, last year, I believe they did a Blood Money in the Sand show in June. So that's a really difficult situation that WWE would be putting itself in as well. Would they do WrestleMania in Saudi Arabia? I don't think they would do that. Although they did certainly promise a. WrestleMania like show last year at this time, or at, at that time, um, and certainly didn't follow through because that show is not WrestleMania like in any way other than Pyro and names on the card. So I do think that there is a lot of unknown right now for WWE, uh, a lot of unknown right now for WWE fans. But I did think that their effort Friday night to put together a quality television program for two hours was successful. Um, you know, I did see some criticism online that they didn't think it would work long term. And maybe not, you know, after two or three weeks of this, do you still want this? Do you want to keep seeing these tongue in cheek fun shows? You know what, my opinion is very simple. There is going to be so little brand new content, particularly live, particularly of a sports nature that I think WWE and it's billions of dollars and it's unlimited, you know, like unlimited budgets, obviously it's significant amount of performers. I think they have a real opportunity to capitalize on a marketplace. And from a business standpoint, put a jolt into their business, especially coming out of this entire thing. But it, what is number one of most importance overall is that everyone inside WWE, the staff, and that goes for everyone from Vince McMahon and Triple H all the way down to the cameramen, uh, Obviously, all of the superstars, everyone needs to stay safe and healthy. I don't know. Obviously, right now, coronavirus tests across the country. I'm not going to make any type of political state statement on them, but not going well is the best thing I'll say and could be doing far better. Um, So, you know, I wonder what precautions WWE as a multi-billion dollar company may be able to take in constantly testing performers, ensuring that everyone that wrestles on a show is cleared maybe 48 hours before the show and, you know, is in some type of isolation in the time leading up to the show. I do think that precautions can be taken given this company and given its assets and television contracts to make all of that happen. So again, we will see what happens with WWE going forward. For everyone out there listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, I want you all to stay safe as well. Please, again, I'm gonna put the stethoscope on right now. Dr. Silverstein here, uh, wash your hands constantly and thoroughly. There are guides online on the proper way to wash your hands. I actually have a couple of friends who are doctors and have told me this years before this even happened. You know, you're washing your hands wrong. This is how we were taught to do it in medical school. That's what they are telling people to do right now. They want you to wash your hands for 20 seconds, all the nooks and crannies. 20 seconds, by the way, is basically HBK's first verse of his theme song and half of the chorus. It's not very long. So put the 20 seconds in, wash your hands constantly and thoroughly, please. Practice social distancing. Do everything the CDC is telling you to do. Um, you know, I want all of you to be here listening to see the Getting Over the Wrestling Podcast and tweeting at me uh, on Twitter and, and talking online and dropping DMs frequently and as often as you possibly can. So again, follow this show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. Drop those freaking five-star reviews. It is the season of giving, it is the season of five-star reviews. It's all about the five. Thanks once again for listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Bye for now.